Did you feel that? Something just happened that many of us take for granted. Another year is officially in the past. A chapter is closed. And now we look ahead to a new year. The mistakes, missteps, and missed opportunities of the past give way to hope, excitement, and joy for the new life God gives us. Pursuing Christ with each new dawn. Through His grace, we get the chance to reset the clock, to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. As we work, play, rest, and worship, we know His mercies are new every morning. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, arriving at next year's end through His faithfulness. So whatever we do this year, let's give it to God seeking his will, trusting his plan, and taking this opportunity to restart. That's a really good thought, isn't it? Um, I don't really have a New Year's resolution, but I think that would be a good one. Anyway, uh, welcome to Grace Community Church. Uh, this morning, uh, we're having one of our regular services. Uh, but I'm up here to talk about something that we usually don't talk about, and that's the small group ministry. Now, for those of you who were in groups that did not finish last semester, uh, you're going to continue on in those groups, so you won't need to sign up again. Uh, but we have four new groups that we're offering for this semester, and I'd like to just describe a little bit about each one of them. Uh, you received this handout when you came in this morning. Uh, on one side is a description of the four groups, and on the back side is a sign-up sheet. Uh, we'd like you to be interested enough to fill out one of these and join one of these groups if you're not already participating in one that's carrying over from last time. Uh, please fill out a second choice because these groups are small and the one that you want uh, for your first choice might be filled uh, by the time uh, they get to your um, form. Let me, uh, let me tell you a little bit about this first one. We've had some questions about it. This is uh, the theology of Handel's Messiah. Uh, the Messiah was a, a, an oratory or opera that was written in, in 1741. And uh, Handel was living in Britain at the time, but he was writing Italian operas. And uh, he realized that people in Britain didn't understand the message of the Italian operas. And so he started writing operas in English. And uh, this one uh, has become one of the most famous. It is all about the ministry of Christ the first oratory in the opera is about the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And throughout his whole life, it's described in song. And by the time you reach the act, uh, act three in the Messiah, uh, you've gone all the way to the glorification of Christ, the ascension of Christ. So uh, it's a wonderful uh, way for music lovers to learn about the gospel message. And I'd encourage you, if you're interested, uh, to sign up for that. Uh, the second offering is about the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke is one of the longest um, 
letters in the New Testament. It's 24 chapters. And so this is going to be a 12-session uh, um, effort. And uh, in a way, I kind of hate to tell you this, but because it is so long and so detailed, there's going to be homework. <laughs> All right, the third one, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is primarily for college and career-aged people. Uh, you know, in the media today, there is so much miscommunication, uh, like never before. And uh, society is targeting young people because they have less experience and less practice at judging right from wrong than the older people do. Um, this would be a great opportunity for you to focus on what is true. There is no misunderstanding about the gospel message. And uh, I really think that in, uh, if you're going to college as a young person, you're going to be faced with liberalism like never before. Ninety percent of all college professors deny that there's even a God. So if you're faced with this and you want to hear the truth, then this is the group for you. And finally, biblical stewardship. In a way, stewardship is in contrast to faith. Do you just trust God to take care of everything? What is your responsibility with the resources that he's given you? One of my favorite proverbs is actually an Arab proverb. And it's, trust God, but tie up your camel. <laughs> but it illustrates the conflict between absolute trust in God to take care of everything and what is it that he has told you to do with the resources that you have. That group meets here at the church on Wednesday night. The other three groups also meet here at the church, but they will meet on Sunday night. 6.30 to 8 is the time for all of them. All right, I really encourage you to sign up for a small group. It is a great way to strengthen your faith in Christ and also to meet people that you might not otherwise know very well. By the time you finish a small group, you'll know everybody in your group. All right, well, uh, we're about to start our worship service. Let me pray to get us going. Let's pray. Lord, it's a wonderful thing to be part of the family of Christ. We know that who are believers. But the ones who don't know, it's our desire that we might in some way influence them. I pray that your spirit would work in the heart of anyone here today who does not believe in Christ. That that person might come to understand the great revelation that you've made through your Messiah. I pray, God, for the worship service today, for those who know Christ as their Savior, that they would express it with true faith and heartfelt conviction. Help us, Lord, to express the joy of knowing you. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord today, be, just to be together as a family of believers, coming together to focus and to worship the Lord, our God. Uh, it's always good to be with family, especially 
in times of, uh, of, of hardship and hurt. Um, we were um, up here, we're going to be leading in, in, in worship this morning, focusing on the Lord. Um, Brian uh, Nichols, who uh, leads, leads this group here, uh, all of a sudden was called. And uh, as many of you know, Holly's dad has been sick for a very, very long time. And they called, said the family needs to come in now. So, uh, so uh, Brian said, I don't know what to do. I said, you need to go be with Holly, what you need to be. So, um, but we're, you know, it's just good to, that, to know that the uh, family of God is praying for them. So uh, I, I would just like, before we start, let's just have a word of prayer, may we? Father, I just want to pray to you right now, Lord, and just thank you that we are a family, that we come together. And Father, when one of our members hurt, we all hurt. And Lord, we ask you that you'd be with Holly and the rest of the family, Brian, and uh, Lord, during this time. Uh, Lord, you, you've got a perfect will, and uh, Lord, you're working out your purpose as, as you see fit. We trust you with it, Lord. And we just thank you that you are the God that's in control of that. So, Lord, be with us now during our time of worship as we honor you in what we do. So, Lord, uh, do together and as we sing together, Lord, be with us now. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Well, let's all stand together. We have the blessed assurance that Jesus is, belongs to us. We belong to him. And anyway, let's sing that together. And we're just... Uh, just pray for us as we, uh, we're kind of looking at each other like how are we supposed to do this, but we're going to get through this and just focus on the Lord right now. Okay, that's all we want to do. Let's go. Let's sing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. of rapture now burst on my side angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy whispers of love this is my story my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my 
Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior.
Thank you, praise team. We appreciate you guys very much. Nice to see all of you today. Nice to see you too, Thad. <laughs> you guys awake? <laughs> all right, a couple of things, just uh, housekeeping type things. want to make mention of uh, fun and fellowship coming up on February the 10th. We're going to have a decades bash. Yeah, so that'll be fun. So you, you want to come to that on February the 10th. We'll be giving you more information as time goes along. But it'll be a fun time. It'll, you'll dress like you did when you were in high school. Isn't that going to be great? So I'm going to have to go find me some bell bottoms and some Converse. And, you know, those bell bottoms just hid your shoes. You didn't have to worry about kind of, what kind of shoes you were wearing. But um, it'll be a fun time uh, together. We'll eat some good food and have some milkshakes. That's always good. And then uh, fellowship together. And listen, if you're uh, new to Grace, you haven't been around uh, long, uh, these fellowship times are important. Opportunity to get to know people. And you're going to see people dressed up that night. Ooh, I can't wait. So uh, that'll be a fun time uh, together. So I hope you look forward to that. And then... Um, I wanted to make mention of the handouts that you received in terms of the Bible reading for this year. Um, there's a couple of different plans there. Uh, one is Blue Letter Bible. I think you have that in front of you. And then also the other one is David Jeremiah's plan to read through the Bible in a year. And so I would encourage you to do that. It's a great discipline uh, to read through uh, the Word of God. And it's very important for us as we uh, hopefully are students of, of God's Word, right? So uh, what's it going to take to wake you up today, all right? I don't know. Lord, you do, so that's a good thing. Um, we want to begin this morning on a journey through John, the Gospel of John. So your Bible should be open to the Gospel of John as we begin our journey together. And as we talk about the central figure of the Gospel of John, which is Jesus Christ, the Lord. That is the central figure in this Gospel. Um, there is the question that remains in our culture today, who is Jesus Christ? And I've got a little short video that might help us uh, remember that there are folks out there who absolutely do not know who Jesus Christ is. And so let's go ahead and show that video. Here is the million dollar question, okay? This is your opinion. Who is Jesus? See, now, see, now you won't start trouble. It's a myth created by man in order to control society. I don't, I don't consider Jesus my savior or my spiritual leader. He is a spiritual leader and right. one of the spiritual leaders I learned from. Who is Jesus in Who your opinion? Who was he? Who was Who he? Who was he? was a man. He was a man, okay. Absolutely. Your opinion. Jesus is... In my opinion, 
He's everything around here. He's spiritual, everything, earth, water, fire, everything. Jesus is all that's good. All the things that are positive and affirmative in life, uh, that's Jesus. I believe he's a higher power in the form of a man. Everyone else walking around, there's not another Jesus. There's just one. So, yeah, I believe he definitely did something. Oh. Yeah, uh, like on, Jesus like, is not a person. He's not a person, okay? Okay. So do you believe he was a man or just like some higher power or? No, I don't believe in. Don't believe he even no. existed? No. Okay. No. Jesus is um, our savior. Jesus is everything. He's the reason why we live. He's the reason why um, we get to do the things that we do in life. He's my heart and he's what I speak through my poetry, through my work, through my everyday life. That's Jesus. Well, people are confused, wouldn't you say? Or they absolutely have no idea who Jesus Christ is. Uh, I don't know what that evokes in you after watching that, but if you thought the task of witnessing is over, it is not. Uh, we have much, much to share with folks, don't we? Those of us who are in Christ, and it's very important that we understand who Jesus is. It's very important that we understand uh, who he is in our life. And when we open to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is not like the other Gospels. It's a, it's a standalone Gospel. It's very interesting that John in this Gospel spends the first 11 chapters on the three and a half years of ministry uh, of the Lord Jesus, but then the last 10 chapters he spends on about one week. One week which includes the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Um, it is a phenomenal personal gospel that John writes to the world. And that means he's written it to you and to me. And he wants us to know it. I was looking back over the years of, of different preachings and teachings. I've never taught through the gospel of John. I have alluded to it, uh, taught some of the miracles in it, taught some of the I am passages, but never had taught through the entire gospel. And so the Lord led me to it, and that's who I'm giving credit to. He led me to this gospel. I think it's a gospel that people know about. I don't know that it's a gospel that people know full well. I think it's a gospel that people know verses that appear in the letter. John 3.16 even the pagan world recognizes that uh, verse. But then you have John 14, 6. That's a very familiar verse to folks. And, and we use those verses, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they fit into a context. <laughs> and the context is the life of Christ. It's the life of the Lord Jesus. And so when I ask you who's the central figure in your life, who is it? Who should it be? Well, it should be the Lord Jesus Christ. He should be the central figure in my life. He should be the central figure in your life. This gospel um, has as its author John. That's what history tells us, tradition tells us, that 
the Apostle John wrote the book. What's interesting is if you look in chapter 1, I want to show you something. Chapter 1, verse 6, we're introduced to a man named John. And so when you look at this, you might think, well, this is the Apostle John. But it's not. Look what chapter 1, verse 6 says. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Well, why did this man come? Verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. John the Baptist came, as we know, from the gospel of Matthew as a forerunner. So this John here in chapter 1, verse 6, is John the Baptist. This is not John the apostle. And so how do we know that John the Apostle wrote this gospel because his name does not appear in this gospel. So how do we know? Do you want the answer to that? Well, let me give you some things to think about. Early in the second century, there was a man named Irenaeus. And Irenaeus said and taught that John wrote the gospel of John. You say, so what? Who is Irenaeus? What kind of authority did he have? Well, Irenaeus was a disciple of a man named Polycarp. Okay? And so Irenaeus said that Polycarp attributed the gospel of John to John as we know it. You say, well, okay, that but who was Polycarp? Well, Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. So it all connects together as you look at church history. But there are some indicators within the letter itself that makes it pretty clear that John the Apostle wrote the book. You're going to see some things that John says, like he refers to himself as a witness. Over and over again, he is a witness to who? To the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, the central figure of the gospel of John, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John gives testimony to the life of the Lord Jesus. And you'll see from time to time within the gospel, he refers to himself as a witness. A witness of what? A witness of his life. He was also a witness of his death. Did you know that? That he was the disciple, singular, who was at the cross. All the others had gone away. We know John was at the cross because you remember what takes place on the cross. Not only was John there, but Mary was there. And what did Jesus say to John from the cross? Behold your mother. So John was a witness to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But did you know that John the Apostle was also the first to believe? Yes, you did know that? Shake your head. This is a participatory class. You did know or you did not know. John records that in the gospel. Martha reports that 
he was gone. He was risen. And she tells Peter, and Peter and another disciple run to the tomb. And guess what? Not only is John called the beloved disciple in the Gospel of John, but he was a track star. And he outran Peter to the tomb. He peeked his head in and he saw the linens, the wrappings, but do you know he wasn't the first to go in? It was Peter that was the first to enter. But it, then it says, interestingly enough, that the other disciple went in. And the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John that upon seeing, he believed. Wow. It's pretty good, isn't it? Well, this John guy, this apostle, was also a part of an inner circle. You remember that inner circle being Peter, James, and John. And they had some unique experiences with the Lord Jesus that the others did not have. They were present at the raising of Jairus' daughter. Right? You remember that? Sure you do. All right? If you don't remember it, look it up this afternoon, and then you will know. Okay? Um, John was present at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus Christ was transfigured. John was there. You say, what's the big deal there? Well, you know who else was there? Moses and Elijah. Very good. You are participating. What must that have been like? Peter enjoyed it so much he wanted to what, build a tent. Let's stay. Right? Let's just pull up a tent. Let's stay. Let's build these booths and we're good to go. Well, but then, did you also know that John was present with Peter and James in the Garden of Gethsemane? That was a time of agony. For our Lord and our Savior. And what did, what did the Lord ask them to do? Watch and pray. Did they do that well? No. Well, we can't be too hard on them. Because if you know the Lord, you're a follower of Christ. And we don't always do it well. Right? We don't always do that well. So... He's referred to as a witness in the letter. He's referred to as the beloved disciple. Do you know people sometimes have a problem with that? Because it's the disciple who Jesus loved. I mean, it's like he's sticking his chest out and going, well, he didn't love the others. That's not true. You know what it relates to me? That John understood his position before the Lord. Mm, that's good stuff. Do you know the Lord loves you? Yeah. He loves you, and he loved John. Well, the Bible tells us something important in the opening chapter that I want to deal with. This was not my intent. In fact, early in the week, I finished my handout for you. It is on the back desk in my office. There's 175 copies. You'll get a copy next week. But the Lord led me to talk about something that's very critical for us to understand as we approach the Gospel of John. Because as we think about the coming of the Lord Jesus, we think about the Gospel of Matthew and the birth account and the Gospel of Luke. 
But we don't necessarily think about the gospel of John. But we should. Because in the gospel of John, we are told in chapter 1, verse 14, something that's really critical for us to understand. Now, you can see just based on the video, there's mass confusion. Some people don't even believe he existed. All right? Some people believe he existed, but he died and he's, he's done with. What do you believe? What do I believe? Is that important to know as we enter the arena of this culture? That we understand ourselves Who Jesus Christ is. What the gospel of John conveys to us. This is Jesus Christ. And you're going to see in the first chapter. The names that are ascribed. The identifications of who Jesus Christ is. Sometimes I think that the church might treat Jesus Christ. As just simply an historical figure. My friends, listen to me. Jesus Christ is God's son. He's God made flesh. That's right. That's what John declares. And you think if anyone would know, it would have been John, the apostle. Because it appears that he and the Lord Jesus had a very close relationship. And you sit there today and you say, oh, I'm jealous. I wish I could have been John. You're going to find out today that you're more blessed than you can even imagine if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? I'm going to get you to do something today that we used to do when I was a kid. We're going to have sword drills, except... You remember those? We used to have sword drills. We'd hold our Bibles up and somebody would say, turn to this passage and first one there would read it. Not sure you could have many sword drills in churches today because I'm not sure how many people carry their Bibles to church today. But what we're going to find as we go through because you're going to participate because you're a participatory group. You are going to go along with me, and I'm going to show you something very critical that John says in John chapter 1. It has to do with the word dwell. You say, Thad, why is that such a big deal? Well, it's a very big deal. In fact, the Bible tells us back in Psalm 27, these are just some introductory Thoughts. I'm listening to you turn to Psalm 27. I don't know how I listen to a phone. But I know some of you have maybe iPads or phones or whatever it is you're using. But in Psalm 27, this simple word dwell occurs. I want to say something about this word dwell. It's a simple word, but it has vast implications theologically. Are you listening to me? Very critical that we understand what John is saying in John chapter 1, verse 14. It's not just, well, he dwelt among us. No, 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 no. 
This issue of dwelling or tabernacling among people is really critical. And this morning, I hope when you walk out of here in just a few moments, you're going to come to understand and realize maybe more than you ever have, wow, that's what I hope your reaction is. Can't make you have that, but that's what I hope it is. Chapter 27, verse 4, a psalm of David. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Now, when we think of dwell, we need to think of relationship, of time with the Lord, of fellowship with the Lord. This word dwell also occurs in Psalm 90, all right? I can hear those pages turning, Psalm 90, all right, in Psalm 90, Moses wrote in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Who was Moses? He was the man who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who's he talking about when he uses the pronoun our? He's talking about Israel. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. This question could never be asked enough. Do you enjoy the presence of the Lord in your own life? It's good to think through. Psalm 91. Look what the psalmist says, verse 1. Good, I hear those pages. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So this word dwell, and that's just a couple of examples in the book of Psalms. But I want to take you on a trip this morning from Genesis to Revelation. That be all right? Good. I'm glad I got your permission. Genesis to Revelation. I want you to think through what takes place in the book of Genesis. Chapters 1 and 2, we have the creation account. You say, Thad, I don't remember the word dwell in those two chapters. Well, it doesn't occur. But we do know this, that the one who created Adam and Eve dwelled with them. He walked with them. The Bible tells us in chapter 3 that when the Lord goes to them after sin, he's walking in the cool of the day. Right? To find who? To be with who? The two that he created. Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam was created from dust. Eve, a rib. God put the first surgery. And God put Adam to sleep and he took out that rib and he formed a woo. Look at her. Right? And then God told them, listen, you can have everything in the garden except this. The Bible tells us in chapter 3... That they sinned. They sinned against the Lord. Well, you say, oh boy, they sinned against the Lord. It's all over. Well, you know what's so wonderful and great? 
even though man sinned, God had a plan. And Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, tells us about that plan. And then if you fast forward the pages to Genesis chapter 12, you find out that that plan was for all the families of the earth. Okay? Make sure you understand that. That that plan was for all the families of the earth. And that would be told to who? Abraham. And do you remember what God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? He said, hey, take it off. Pick up everything. And I want you to go. And what does the Bible tell us takes place? The Bible says some of the most beautiful words. The Lord tells Abraham, go forth from your country, chapter 12, verse 1, and from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families, plural, of the earth will be blessed. Look at these beautiful words. Chapter 12, verse 4. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Well, you move on to the Exodus. I want you to turn with me to chapter 25 of the book of Exodus. And I want to show you this word. Chapter 25, verse 8. This is after the children of Israel come out of Egypt, cross the Red Sea, the Lord gives them things to do. Chapter 25, verse 8, it says, Let them construct a sanctuary, a dwelling place for me that I may, what? Dwell among them. And what do we find Israel doing with the tabernacle? Carrying it around. And who's with them? The Lord God is with them. Does that sound okay? That's a good thing, isn't it? Well then, if you go to chapter 29 of this same book. The book of Exodus, chapter 29, verse... 44, well, back up to 43. I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. Verse 45, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. Verse 46 They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might, what, dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Sound like a good deal? Sounds like a good deal, right, for Israel. Well, then you get a little more detail about that in Leviticus. By the way, you just have to flip a little bit. Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 26, 
Leviticus 26. Verse 9. So I will turn towards you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God And you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. I will dwell among you. What do we know about the promises of God? They're true. Did the Lord God walk among Israel? Did he dwell among them? Answer? Yes, he did. Well, you fast forward the pages a little bit, and we go from a tabernacle to a temple. Now, I want you to turn with me and your Bibles to 2 Chronicles. Those are the pages that are stuck together, okay? (laughs) 2 Chronicles, the ones you're going to have to lick your finger and turn the page. The great thing, I guess, about a phone, you don't have to do that. Please don't lick your phone. (laughs) Second Chronicles, chapter 6 and verse 18, and the dedication of the temple. In fact, this is Solomon's prayer. Prayer of dedication. Look at verse 17. We'll start there. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel... Let your word be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God, here's the question. What a great question. Will God indeed dwell with mankind on earth? So when we come to the gospel of John, what do we find? God dwelling on the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. It all connects. Isn't that so wonderful about the Word of God? Verse 18, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. But Solomon's question is a good question. But will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth? Well, you have the tabernacle. You have the temple. Well, then you fast forward the pages to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we come to find out that indeed God dwells among men in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, in the Gospel of John, we're going to see conversations that go on between Jesus and people. Some of these people you know pretty well. Some of the characters you're going to look at, I've never heard of this person. Right? We're going to familiarize ourselves more with these folks who the Lord Jesus hung out with. Did you know that John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 1, 1-3 defends the... Um, 
the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That indeed, God did take on flesh and dwell among men. And in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle John says this. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, who is that? Jesus Christ. And the life was manifested. We have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which is, by the way, a word life occurs 36 times in the Gospel of John. The only other word that I know that occurs more than that is the word believe, which occurs 98 times. So the gospel of John is about belief and life, right? Well, belief in who? Belief in who John's defending here. He says, which was with the Father. We're going to see more about that and what that means next couple of weeks. And was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Why would John do that? Because John believed. That's why. We proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so you have the apostle who dwelled with the Lord Jesus as he was here on the earth. So did a lot of folks. There were a lot of folks that came into contact with Jesus Christ. And you're going to see different reactions and responses in the Gospel of John as we go through it together. But you know what? This amazing dwelling thing's not over. I want to share something with you that you need to remember and never forget. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and He is your Savior, the Spirit of the living God lives in you. He dwells in you. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminds this wonderful church called the Church at Corinth. I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to chapter 6. Chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, okay? You're going to see this same issue of dwelling. Chapter 6. This is a tough section. That Paul is dealing with here. But he says, verse 18, flee immorality. Run. Run away from immorality. Every time I read that verse or teach that verse, I always think about Joseph. He ran from immorality. He ran from sin. You say, Thad, how often did he do that? Reread the, re-read the account. He did it every day. As Potiphar's wife pursued that man. He ran and he ran and he ran and he ran. So, like, when you leave today, you can think there were two men I know, prominent men in the Bible that ran. John and Joseph, right? They ran. Well, for different reasons. But 
Joseph ran. And so, as I look at this command, he says to this church in Corinth, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Look at verse 19. Or do you not know? In other words, you should know. How do I say this right, Lord? We need reminders of the things that we already know. The simple things. Someone shared last Sunday night. We had a wonderful service last Sunday night. Someone shared last Sunday night a simple statement. And he even referred to it as such. But said, Jesus Christ died for the sins of all men for all time. That's what the Bible teaches. It's a simple statement, but profound. We need reminders of the simple. It's not necessarily the complex. That's where people want to land. Let me see if I can figure this out. You don't have to be a great student to figure out what Paul's saying to these believers who were surrounded by immorality. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple? Uh Uh-oh. It's a representation of the Holy Spirit who is around you, who is beside you, who is in you, who's in you. One of the things I've discovered about sin, when it comes to sin, I always like to illustrate my own life because I don't want to talk about yours. I am reminded as a believer as I get older that when it comes to sin, the excuses I used to have, I don't have anymore. Does that make sense at all? In other words, I'm not confused by what sin is and sin is not. Like Steve said earlier, you know, good from evil. As you get older in the Lord, you go, yep, he addressed that. Yep, he addressed that. And then it becomes, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Living the Christian life is absolutely impossible without the one who dwells in you. So he says... Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. Oh. And that you are not your own. Oh. Well, you could build a cake just on verse 19, couldn't you? Which I love cake. White cake, white frosting. My grandma Blunt used to make, I call it a tower cake. She had a bottom layer of cake and then white frosting. I still remember the pan. And, and then another layer of cake and frosting. And then another layer of cake and frosting. It's beautiful. It was in this gold tin can. Beautiful. Listen to me. God's word's better than a cake. We need this book to help us live. But you know what? To the glory of God. 
we can do that because of the one who dwells in us. Oh. Well, then what about John? What about those guys? I mean, we don't find the Spirit of God dwelling in men. Some, there's some examples in the Old Testament, not many, for a period of time. But when you get to the New Testament, we know that at the beginning of the church, the Spirit of God began to indwell men. And I look, as I look throughout biblical history, I was thinking about this. I can't even tell you how this message came about because you wouldn't believe it. But it was just unbelievable. The Lord's like, Dad, you better deal with this. As I look at the Old Testament, I think about God speaking with Moses. I think, man, that'd be really awesome to be on that mountain and that bush is burning, but it's not consumed. I mean, what would that be like? I don't know. What would it be like to be on the Mount of Transfiguration? With Jesus and Peter and James and Moses and Elijah. I don't know. That'd be awesome. Wouldn't it? Or am I in a really, really good spot where I am right now as a Christian? Where, where the Lord, His Spirit, dwells in me. Lives in me. You say, well, that, what has this got to do with the gospel of John? <laughs> Glad you asked. Go in your Bibles to John. You may already be there. John chapter 14. <laughs> now, I want you to get... A flavor for the context. It's in the last time right before the crucifixion of Christ. He's with his disciples in the upper room. And he's speaking with them about a lot of very, very critical things. And you and I are going to look at those things. But can you imagine what it must have been like to be those disciples for just a moment? When he had said, hey, I'm going to be with you for a very short time. I'm about to leave you. And where I'm going, you can't come now. I mean, you'd have been going, hey, time out. I just did three and a half years with you, and you're telling me you're leaving, and where, where you're going, I can't do? I can't go? You say, that? where's that? Right here in the gospel. Chapter 13 tells us all about that. But then you know what our wonderful Lord does? Oh, I love this so much. Listen, the next time you think you're alone, in the midst of your sorrow, you're not. In the midst of your pain, you're not. In the midst of your agony, you're not. And it's a lie from hell to say you are. You're not alone. And what Jesus says to them in chapter 14, he says, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, remember, this is on the heels of the statement, hey, I'm going to be here just for a little while, and, and where I'm leaving, and where I'm going, you can't come now. And if you're any one of those guys, you're going, hey. 
remember all they saw, which we're going to see in the Gospel of John. I mean, they're all in. But over and over again, you'll see in the Gospels where the Lord talks about his own prediction of his death and his resurrection. You do. But get to chapter 14, verse 1. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. But then he gives them something that I'm quite certain when it came to Pentecost, I'm not sure how much celebrating they were doing. You say, Thad, what's the big deal? It's about dwelling. Here it is. Chapter 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Oh, no, I don't want another one, a different one. Well, that's not what it means. The word another there means another of the same kind. Oh, that sounds good. Another helper that he may be with you forever. That is, and he says it, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him excuse me, does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you, he dwells with you. Well, that sounds great. But then look at this icing on the cake. He abides with you and will be where? In you. There's no way you and I can understand the impact of those words. I don't think. Not in that context. But at Pentecost, we're told that the Spirit of God began to indwell men. So you have in the Gospel of John this incredible statement in chapter 1 and verse 14. And it's this. And the word became flesh and what? Dwelled or dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. You say, Thad, that's it? With this dwelling? That's not it. Let me give you the conclusion to that. Go with me to Revelation. Revelation. Don't you love that book, Revelation? If you do not love the book of Revelation, you're missing out on the second person of the Trinity. There is a lot said about the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. I just... Recently, you had remembered that there were some men in church history that really didn't have too much for this book. One was Luther and one was Calvin. And I'm like, yeah, I forgot about that. How do you hang a book up? How do you say, well, I just, no. It's like, it's like people do with Jonah. They look at Jonah, well, it's just, I don't know really how much is there in there for me. Are you kidding me? It is the living word of God. 
Well, I got good news for you guys. You ready for this? Now, this is only if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Only if you know him as your Savior. This description in chapter 21 is the new heaven and new earth. Look what it says. Here it is. It's beautiful. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I get kids asking me all the time, Hey, Pastor Thad, are there going to be animals on this new earth? I believe there will be. You know why I believe that? Well, first of all, there's going to be in the millennial kingdom, we know. But in Genesis, how did God create things to be? Right? Who messed that up? Man did. Look at this. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Hmm. Kaylee, this is is so good that, I mean, it's just so, so good. Look at this. Behold, the tabernacle of God is where? Among men. And he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. Praise the Lord. There will no longer be any mourning. Praise the Lord. There will no longer be any crying. Praise the Lord. There will no longer be any pain. Praise the Lord. And all those over 50 said, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Why? The first things have passed away. We learn when we're young all these different parts of Scripture. We learn about the tabernacle. We learn about the temple. We learn that God did dwell among His people. We, we learn that God took on flesh and dwelt among men. and We, we like that. And when we see in the Gospel where John says that He walked with the Lord Jesus and so did many other people and we're like, man, I wish I could have done that. Well, sure. Who wouldn't have wanted to be there? Right? When he calmed the sea. It's one of my favorite ones. Just hush, be still. Um, That would have been awesome. But isn't it so good of the Lord that he told John and the others I've been with you, but I'm going to be in you. Guess? He's in us. (laughs) Think about that. You say, that how? I don't know. At some point in anyone's life, you come to the point where you just say, I believe. 
I've had people ask me before that, have you ever doubted the existence of the Lord? Well, I don't know. I got saved when I was seven. I don't know how much I thought about it before then, but I believe. I believe he always has been, and I believe he always will be. I believe there's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ the Lord. Period. And that those who believe and who trust in Jesus Christ, just as this gospel of John's going to say, they have eternal life. And those that don't, listen to me, those that don't, all those people we saw in the very beginning, wasn't that sad? Weren't you saddened by that? Listen to me, you say, oh, they're not around here in Birmingham. This is the Bible Belt. Oh, no, 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 no. They're next door to you. Are you listening to me? They're, They're next to you in the cubicle. They're next to you at your school. And these people are walking around with no hope, and you and I, We go, we have hope. And it's not in man, it's in Christ. And so we have much to tell. And we are so blessed. But those who never trust Christ, listen to me, there's a real place called hell. And people who do not come to Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell. The Bible calls it the lake of fire. That doesn't sound good to me. But you know what Paul talks about in Thessalonians? Part of hell is not the location, just the location. But part of hell will be those folks who were created by the Lord and who were loved by the Lord will forever be away from the one who made them. You know what I walked away with after putting this together? Thank you, Lord, for dwelling in me. And if you don't know the Lord today, I would love to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Because one of the things you're going to hear over and over again in the Gospel of John is believe, 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 believe. You know, I love, I'll close with this. I could talk all day. You know, I, I close with this. My heart's really full with this. Um, as I was reminded Sunday night by this fellow that stood up, the Lord died for all the sins, the Bible says, the sins of the whole world. But when I think about it, I think, I'd I'd kind of forgotten this when I was thinking about the Lord dwelling with men and women, but he dwelt with children. We have children in this building that may not know the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to be examples and willing to share. We have young people, and I mean teenagers, who may not know the Lord. Help us to be ready to share the gospel. We have adults in here today who may not know about the life-giving offer of Jesus Christ. You know what's so wonderful about it? He paid it all. (laughs) He paid it all. As the hymn says, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow.
Let us pray together. Father, um, there's just so much to think about as we are going to travel through this gospel. We don't give these words, the word, life. (laughs) The life's in the word. It's you. And so as we open the pages together, as we think about all that took place in your life, I pray, Father, that you would help us to appreciate more the Son. As we're going to see in this, in this letter, um, there's a lot of interaction between the Father and Son. Help us as we leave this place today that we would appreciate if we belong to you that you dwell in us. Help us by your grace and strength to be good examples, good examples of the one that we trust and love. All this I pray in the precious name of Christ. Amen. And the one that dwells within us, we should be in awe of the fact that he is the same one who stood before creation, who stood in eternity, before there was a 1152, before there was any time. But then he set the world into motion, and he created 1152. This is the God who dwells within us, the one who created us, The same God who stood before our failures. He carried our cross, our cross of shame. And all the sin that was weighed on his shoulders. And this is what we stand for. Is that type of Lord. I want you to stand and sing on the stand. stood before creation eternity in your hand you spoke the earth into motion my soul now to stand you stood before my faith My sin weighed upon your shoulder, my soul now to stand. What can I say? What can I do? heart, oh God, completely to you. So I'll walk upon salvation.
spirit alive in me my life to declare your promise my soul now to stand so what can I say what can I do powerful song to sing. It's a commitment song. Um, just want to make mention of some prayer needs to you. We don't do this all the time, but I think it's important. We want to continue to pray, obviously, for Holly and for B. But we also want to pray for Milton Hendricks. Um, he's having to stay home, and that's hard for Milton. We love Milton, and um, uh, we want to pray for Ruth and Milton. I know there's my Ruth right there. That's my golfing buddy. Y'all can ask her about that after church. I want to pray for Billy Nellums. Billy Nellums has been in the hospital a couple of weeks now. And I want to pray for Billy Nellums. Um, and also for George. George took a fall. George Mirage did on Friday night. He actually had a wedding he did yesterday. Then he went and ate. Then he went to the 
emergency room, and apparently he needed to go to the hospital, and they're going to have to do an operation on him either tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, so you pray about that. But also I have great news, answered prayer with Eva Garrett. Uh, I was up there Friday with some other ladies in the room at the same time. I walked in. They were there. I was like, ooh, my mom taught me when there's a bunch of ladies in the room, hurry and get out of there. And so I did. Didn't stay long, prayed with them and left. But um, she is uh, without pain. And that's just, that is a miracle of God. And so we just praise the Lord for that. And so you guys uh, go find you something to eat, enjoy your day. Find somebody you don't know before you leave, introduce yourself. And uh, we'll pray for those folks all along the week and give you updates as you need, that, need to have them. So uh, you're dismissed. Great to see you.